0: Lord Jesus, thank you that we can meet together. Please open your Bible to us now, and please may your words be revealed to us. Please help me to explain it clearly. And in this heat, please keep all distracting thoughts from us. May we, may we remain focused on your word. In your name, amen. amen. When did you last think about death or have a conversation about it? I know that's a bit of a morbid topic to start off with, but I'm willing to bet it was a long time ago. You see, death doesn't play a huge role in our modern day lives. And that's mainly because we try to run away from it. We try to hide from it. Um, I've discovered since moving to London that there are quite a few things on the British don't talk about list. Uh, And one of those is definitely death. Uh, We don't talk about death on a day-to-day basis. Another reason is that we live in a pretty modern and wealthy society. So there's been advances in uh, lifestyle, advances in medicine, advances in technology. And so we're not forced to confront death on a very regular basis. Mortality rates are, are way better than they used to be. Uh, if you think about Hudson Taylor, he was a famous British missionary. Uh, he went out to China. He had eight children, and four of those children were, were, had passed away, were dead by the time they were, uh, before they were 10 years old. Uh, so that was a family that was, conf- that was forced to confront death on a way more regular basis than we are today. And even today, when we are forced to confront death, for example, if we go to a funeral, uh, we still try to hide from it Uh, These days, uh, funerals are often called celebrations of life um, and open caskets are, I think, a a thing of the past. Now, despite what we do to try and run away from death, it is unavoidable. All of us are going to have to face it at some point or another. Now, in today's passage that's been kindly read for us, people are confronted by death. And reading through the story, it probably looks pretty straightforward and very easy to understand. What's the problem? Well, that's simple. It's death. Lazarus is sick, he goes through a time of suffering, and then he dies. What's the solution? That's also very easy. It's Jesus. Jesus arrives, and with his power, he raises Lazarus to life. And with a simple uh, command, he shows his power over death. So that's it. Case closed. Problem solved. I think we can all go home, and that's the record for the world's shortest sermon ever. But, and there's a big but, as we read through this account, there are a few clues that there's a little bit more going on here. There's more than meets the eye. I don't know if anyone here is a fan of the movie Shrek, but you'll know that ogres are like onions. They've got layers to them. Now this story is also one with layers, and we need to get through a few of those layers and try and peel back um, and, and find out what's happening here. Now the first question, I don't know whether you noticed it, comes up in verse six, where we see that Jesus delays his journey by two days. And the obvious question is, why would Jesus do this? Why delay his journey by two days? We see that Jesus loves Mary, and her sister Martha, and their brother Lazarus. He's got a lot of love for this family. It's mentioned twice uh, at the start there, in verse 3 and in verse 5. Now, in those days, parchment was pretty expensive, so you didn't repeat something unless you really wanted people to take note of it. So this is clearly important. Uh, We also see that Jesus is saddened by this event. Later on, if we see in verse 33, we see that Jesus is deeply moved by these events. And in verse 35, the shortest verse in the Bible, we see that Jesus wept. Then there's also the geography of it all. Lazarus is is lying in Bethany. He's he's dying in a a town called Bethany, very close to Jerusalem. Jesus is all the way over the Jordan River, um, a good day's journey away. So there's the geographical problem. Um, He's far away. And yet despite this, verse 6 says, So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. So why would Jesus do this? Why deliberately delay your trip? Uh, when he hears that his beloved friend is sick. Some of us might be wondering why Jesus needs to visit Lazarus at all. Uh, back in chapter 4, Jesus healed an official son who was on his deathbed more than 20 miles away. And all he did was say the word. So there's no reason to actually go all the way to where Lazarus is. Um, and yet he decides to travel all the way there. I think verse 14 might give us a hint at, at, at these answers. Jesus is in discussion with his rather confused disciples. Have a look in verse 14 where he says, Lazarus is dead and for your sake I am glad I was not there so that you may believe but let us go to him. So Jesus does this miracle so that people will believe in him. Now in those days it wasn't unheard of for people to appear to be dead but actually only be in a coma or unconscious. So sometimes the the funeral would be in, in full swing and the person would actually rise to life again and everyone would rejoice and work out that the person was never dead in the first place. So If Jesus had raised Lazarus after two days, there would have been quite a lot of doubt here. Was Lazarus ever dead? Did Jesus ever actually perform this miracle? But after four days, and you'll notice in verse 39 it says Lazarus was smelling pretty bad by this stage. So I think it's pretty certain he is dead. Then it can only be the power of Jesus who is raising Lazarus from the dead. So on the one hand we have Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. But on the other he's also showing his power to his disciples. And through the recording of the story, his power to all of us as well. Another question that maybe springs to mind as we read through this is that this solution seems to be a short-term solution. Lazarus will die again. This is the temporary miracle. It depends which way you look at it. But Jesus has either saved Lazarus by raising him from the dead or he simply delayed his death. If you're um, you, uh, one of the cynical people, you might even say Lazarus is unlucky. He's going to have to die twice. This is not a good position to be in. But if you have a look at Jesus' discussion in Martha, with Martha, have a look in verse 26. He says, Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. So that's another strange thing in this passage. We have a, a temporary miracle performed here. It's a short-term miracle. But Jesus is somehow referring to a permanent solution. Now, that's another question we need to answer. And I think to look at that, we need to peel back another layer of that mythical onion, uh, we need to broaden our context and try and find that if Jesus is who he says he is. Now, thankfully, the entire gospel of John is written to answer that very question, who is Jesus? So John starts off in chapter 1 by referring to Jesus as the Word, and he says that the Word is God. So right at the beginning of the gospel, 1 verse 1, he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God. Then throughout the rest of the gospel, John carries on explaining and he uses all the various events that happened to Jesus to explain who Jesus is. Now, we're going to be doing quite a few of these or looking at a few of these through the summer series. So I'm not going to be the the one to spoil those surprises, but just a a high-level look at some of those examples. In chapter 6, we're going to read about how people are hungry, but then Jesus feeds them and Jesus is the bread of life. Then in chapter 8, we'll see how People are walking in darkness, but that Jesus is the light of the world. Then in chapter 10, we'll see that people are lost, but that Jesus is the gate to salvation. And here we are in chapter 11. We get confronted with death, and we learn that Jesus is the life and the resurrection. So we've got all these different illustrations, and John is using them to show us that Jesus is God. And it's not just through these events that it happens. uh, It's through what Jesus says as well. Uh, if if you look back one chapter to chapter 10 verse 22 uh, jesus says i and the father are one so jesus is also claiming to be god and if we look back in john chapter 8 we are jumping around a lot i apologize for that you've got to be on the ball today Um, if we look back in john chapter 8 in verse 58 jesus uses god's name Uh, he he uses god's name of i am so uh, john chapter 8 verse 58 jesus says very truly i tell you jesus answered before abraham was born I am. Now in the Old Testament, we learn that that I am is God's name. There's a discussion between uh, Moses and God, and God reveals his name to Moses. It's all the way back in Exodus 3, verse 14. You don't need to flip there, I'll read it out. It says, Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So here we have Jesus claiming to be this I am. It's a momentous moment. And we can even see him hinting at that name in this passage when he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, that is a really powerful claim, isn't it? I am the resurrection and the life. It's a bit like you'd imagine Bill Gates saying, I am Microsoft. Microsoft. Or maybe Steve Jobs when he was still alive. I am Apple. You have to really own that subject. You have to be the heart and soul of that subject to make a claim like that. I am Microsoft. Well, here we have Jesus saying, I am the resurrection and the life. And it's not just words. We can see from this passage that it's a valid claim. So maybe just to sum up, because I know we've jumped around a bit. uh, Looking not just at the Gospel of John, but at a few verses throughout the Bible, we can see that Jesus Jesus is the Word uh, he's with. He was with God in the beginning, um, when the world was created. We can see that Jesus is the same as God. They have that same name of I Am, and we can see that Jesus is the answer to many problems that we face: darkness, confusion, hunger, and even death. If we maybe jump back to our more immediate passage of the raising of Lazarus from the dead, we can see that Jesus is God because he's able to bring physical life and resurrection. We see that with Lazarus. We're also able to see that Jesus is God because he's able to bring spiritual life and resurrection. Now, some commentators believe that that's exactly what we see in these few verses over here. Uh, If we have a look at the discussion between Jesus and Martha in verses 21 to 27, there's there's a discussion there. Uh, And it's almost broken up into two halves. So the first half of it is verse 21 to 24. And in this, Martha is, uh, is providing more kind of textbook answers. It's more based on her, on her Jewish uh, understanding her, and her Old Testament knowledge. So verse 21 says, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So at this point, Martha is just answering from her, from her knowledge that she's built up. But then if you have a look at the second half of that discussion, uh, from verse 25 afterwards, we see Martha accepting Jesus as her Messiah. So what is happening to her brother Lazarus physically is happening to Martha spiritually. Have a look in verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Now, I must be honest, I'm not 100% convinced there's enough evidence in that passage to say that that's the exact moment uh, that Martha accepts Jesus as her Messiah. But it would be a very pow- powerful illustration if the brother is getting raised to life physically at the same time as the, as the sister is getting raised to life spiritually. I think what is really important in that passage is that we can see without a doubt that Jesus has power over death. And that he is the solution to life and resurrection. Now the really big question when we look through a passage like this. Is how do we respond to this? And I think there is actually quite a lot we can learn. uh, From the responses of the various characters in the story. So in the first camp we have the nominal believers. I am going to be quite harsh. I am going to call them the lukewarm believers. In that category we have Martha. We have Mary. And we also have the crowd mentioned in verse 37. Now this, these, these lukewarm believers, these nominal believers, they believed Jesus was powerful and they believed he was great, but they also believed that his power stopped at death. So they thought death was just a little bit too powerful for Jesus. Have a look at Martha in verse 21, or have a look at Mary in verse 32. And then we've also got the crowd in verse 37. They believed that Jesus could have healed Lazarus when he was sick. But now that Lazarus is dead, sorry, it's too late. There's nothing Jesus can do now. So Jesus' miracle actually benefits them a lot because they can see that, yes, Jesus got power before death, but he's also got, de- got power over death and after death as well. Now, I don't think it's too hard for us to draw some comparisons uh, to our own Christian lives from that. Maybe we believe Jesus is powerful in this life. So maybe we pray to him and worship him and praise him about things that are happening in our life at the moment. The question is do we do we believe and do we live as if jesus has got power after death as well if we do we will be confidently living for eternity we'll have faith to hold on for then so we won't live for the current world the fast cars the fancy houses the glamorous holidays the careers the friends the relationships and all of the distractions that this world holds it's when we don't trust in jesus for eternity that we get very distracted by this world Now, those things are fine and good in themselves. I'm not saying they're not. But they shouldn't be our absolute everything. Carrying on through the responses, uh, we also have some pretty interesting responses from those that come across Jesus' power for the first time. If you have a look in verse 45 and verse 46. So in verse 45, we see people uh, discovering Jesus' power for the first time, and they believe in Jesus. And then if you have a look in verse 46, same situation, except a different response. They go running off to the Pharisees to report what Jesus has done. Now I think looking at them, it's worth noting that none of them dispute the power of Jesus or the validity of the miracle. All of them agree, yes, Jesus is powerful, yes, Jesus really did this miracle. The difference is in the reaction. Some are for Jesus, some are against Jesus. Now again, it's a pretty easy application to our lives, isn't it? We all see God's power around us. I, Personally, I haven't seen dead people raised to life recently. I don't know about you, but we do see God's power. Maybe it's something big. Maybe it's a beautiful sunset, or maybe you walk outside and you see the starry night sky. Okay, probably not in London, but out in nature and you see the starry night sky and you see God's power. Or maybe it's something small. Maybe it's a beautiful flower or a painting or the wonder in a child's eyes when they discover something new for the first time. Whatever it might be, we're all reminded of, of God's power on a regular basis. We might turn towards God, we might ignore God, or we might reject Him completely and turn against Him. Another response is the Pharisees. And they would be comical if, if their response wasn't quite so tragic. So they hear these reports of Jesus' miracle. They call a meeting. You'll see that in verse 47. Now, they know that Jesus has got power over death. That's what this meeting is all about. And what did they decide to do? In verse 53, it tells us they decide to kill Him. Now it's a bit daft, isn't it? If someone's got power over death, then killing them really isn't going to be a great solution. But that's what the Pharisees decide to do anyway. I think it is worth having a look at their reasoning. Have a look in verse 48, it says, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. You see, the Pharisees were perfectly happy with the status quo. They liked things just like it was. They had power, they had wealth, They had social standing, life was perfect. They did not want to disrupt that status quo. They were so desperate to keep things just the way it was that they were even willing to commit murder. How desperate are we to hold on to our possessions and our worldly successes and our place in the world? Following Jesus means following a radical way of life. Jesus promises persecution and suffering, a world in which the last are first and the first are last. Are we willing to give up what we have in order to follow Jesus down that path? Or would we also rather have him dead from our lives? Then looking at the last response, the disciples. Now the disciples' response isn't really clear at this stage. And that's because they're on a longer journey. So they've been with Jesus from the start of his ministry. They're in all of this. And it's only right at the end when they actually see Jesus' death and resurrection that we get to properly see their response. And they are pretty similar to us, the readers'. We're also on a journey here. John is writing the entire story so that we can learn who Jesus is. John finishes off his gospel uh, right at the end. In chapter 20, verse 30, he says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John is writing this entire gospel, not just this particular story, his entire gospel, to show us who Jesus is. He's forcing us to make a decision. We have to respond to the claims of Jesus in one way or another. In less than one month's time, from the date of this miracle, Jesus will be dead. The Pharisees' wicked plan that they cooked up in verse 47 will go ahead. They will soon crucify Jesus on a hill outside Jerusalem. As their own high priest, Caiaphas prophesied in verse 50, One man would die for the people. But we know that it doesn't end there. Jesus really does have power over death. And three days later, he's raised to life, triumphant and victorious. So right now, the the disciples are witnessing the death and resurrection of Lazarus. But this is only the curtain raiser to the main event. Pretty soon, they're going to witness the death and resurrection of Jesus himself. So in conclusion, I think we can see from this miracle the power of Jesus. It's undisputed. Everyone who saw this miracle believed that Jesus was powerful. He really does have power over death. I think the love of Jesus is also undisputed. It's quite ironic, but Jesus swaps his life for Lazarus here. Jesus raises Lazarus from death to life, and it's actually at the expense of his own life. Raising Lazarus to life is what starts this whole plan in motion to get Jesus killed. So we can see the love of Jesus by substituting his life for Lazarus. And we know that Jesus didn't just substitute his life for Lazarus, but for all of us as well. So going back to our opening discussion, we know that we live in a society, we live in a world that runs from death, lives with us like an ostrich with its head in the sand, anything to avoid thinking about death. But in this world, isn't it great to know that we serve a God who gives life and resurrection and has power over death. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you that you do give give power. Thank you that you give life and resurrection. Lord, thank you that we can see from Jesus' life this power and this love. Please help us to respond in an appropriate way, both in our thoughts, in the way we think about God, and in our actions, the way that we live our life. In your name we pray. Amen.